Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Would you reach inside your program and pull out your Crosswalk notes? It's a white half sheet that looks like this. As Phil mentioned, we're going to be starting a new series today. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to begin at verse 20, and then we'll go down to chapter 6, verse 10. Before we read that, you can open up your Bibles while I'm chatting with you here for a minute. I just want to talk to you a little bit about this series as a whole. It's going to be a three-week series. And if you've ever asked yourself the question, how do I, how do I get change to happen in my life? I'll bet some of you have struggled at times with things that you'd like to change. I know I have. And um, we always wonder, what's, what's holding me back from change? Why is it that I run hard at change and it seems like at some point I hit a wall or, or there's a, a big, large band attached to my backside that just seems to constantly pull me back? It's like I'm trying to, to, to get escape velocity from the planet's atmosphere, and boom, what goes up somehow ends up coming down. So how can I get true change? How can I reform? You know, one of the the central ideas of the Christian faith is this idea of repentance. And, And repent simply means to turn around or to change your mind. And so this is central to the idea of being a Christ follower is the idea of change. Now, many of us, fear change. Many of us are reluctant to think about change because, for one thing, there's safety in what we know. And so these are some of the issues that I want us to address during this three-week series. And here's the amazing thing. 500 years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther, and he discovered three key truths in the Scripture as he was reading the Bible. And remember, in these days, even to have a Bible for your own to be able to read and study was very rare. Usually most of the Bibles just belonged in the church. They were chained to the pulpit. It was rare for a person to get one. Luther had his own. He began to study it, and he discovered these three essential truths that led him to change. And furthermore, it revolutionized the world and created what we know as the Protestant Reformation and literally transformed Uh, an entire world around him. Luther's transformation began in the book of Romans when he encountered a a verse in chapter 1. It's not the one that we're going to be reading today, but it's an important verse, and I'm going to read it to you right now. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, what I want to do today is take you a few chapters more deeply into the book of Romans. As I said, chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 20. And in in these set of verses, the Apostle Paul is really describing for us what it means that we are now justified by faith and what a transformation that makes in our life. So, let's read that. Romans 5.20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So what is it that holds us back so often from change in our lives? You know, one, one of the things for sure that holds a lot of people back is, is just the fact that there's so much stuff constantly coming at us in life, and life gets to be pretty rattling sometimes. It, it, it rattles us because of all the stuff that's constantly coming at us. And then when someone comes along and says, hey, you, you got to change, it's, man, it shakes us a little bit. But you know what? God is the original agent of change. He, he's the one who, above all else, says things need to change in this world. He created a beautiful, perfect world at first. And then, of course, the change of sin came into that world and, and brought us all down into it. In this same chapter of Romans, Paul says, when sin came into the world, death came with it. And, and what a horrible change that was. And when God looked at that, he said, you know what? Somehow this has got to change back, even if it means me entering into this world myself to get that job done. And as we know, that's exactly what God did. He came into the world himself. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to take away all of our sins. And because of that, now we have new hope for change. It kind of clears away some of the things that, that prevent us from change. Now, I want to give you some really, um, some technical things, really, that hinder us at times from change. So pull your pen out, get your crosswalk notes ready, because there's a few words I want you to, to write down. First of all, let's, uh, let's fill in some blanks. Often life leaves us feeling defeated and unlovable. Did you ever feel that way? You're going through life and, and things are just coming at you and it's, it's all too much and we end up feeling defeated and unlovable. Now here's the technical terms that I want to throw out. You just write these in that little blank space up above defeated and unlovable. What often prevents us from making changes in, in our lives, are you ready for this? Is that we are mad or sad. I know those are big technical terms. You know what I mean by that? It, it goes all the way back to the garden. When, when Adam and Eve 
ate that fruit and disobeyed God, they brought sin into the world, and with it, the Bible says death. And, and because of this sin and death that, that pervades, that, that filters throughout our entire world, every heart, every mind, including our own, we are often either mad or sad. We're mad, first of all, sometimes at ourselves. And what do we call that? We call that guilt and shame. You know what the difference between guilt and shame are? Guilt is the feeling that you feel when you, when you recognize you've done something wrong, okay? It's all about what you've done. Shame is a little bit different. It's the feeling that you feel when you think you are something wrong. It's when it gets down into the level of your identity of who you are, and you go, wow, I am a bad person. That's shame. Now, sin brings the death of both guilt and shame into our hearts and minds. And we get angry with ourselves, and we get sorry and sad over the way that we act toward God and toward others. That's half the story. But, of course, we're not the only sinners, right? Take a look at the person sitting next to you. Just glance at them real quick. Don't, don't let them see that you're looking too long. Don't stare at them. That person's a sinner too. Did you know that? And sometimes, depending on who's sitting next to you, that person has sinned against you. And you may be sad at them, right? Or you may even be mad at them because of the sin that has been committed against you because of the hurt and the pain that's still in your heart over what others have done to you. Now, how does all of this apply to the idea of change, of repentance, changing our minds, making U-turns? Well, change is somewhat emotional. And when sin, whether it's our own, and we're mad at ourselves, and we feel guilty and ashamed, and we feel sad at what we've done to others, or whether it's the other person's, what happens is those emotions lock us in. And we sort of emotionally fold our arms. If we're mad at somebody else, what will we often think? Well, (laughs) he's the one that needs to change God. When are you going to do a work in his heart, huh? And if we're mad at ourselves, we may get so down on ourselves that we'll think, man, I'm the one impossible case. I have tried so hard. I've worked at this and worked at this, and even God can't help me make the changes I need to make. You know, that's... I talked to you before about Martin Luther. Martin Luther grew up in very legalistic background. It was all about laws and rules, not just in his church, but in his home. If you know about uh, his parental upbringing, it was all about following the rules. And Luther came to believe that that's what life was really about, following the rules. And yet he, he also was given by God a very tender conscience. One day he was riding his horse back home and a lightning bolt struck 
a tree near him. And he jumped down off that tree so fast. And being a good Roman Catholic boy, he, he immediately called out to one of the saints, San Anne, please save me. If you save me, and he bargained with God, I'll become a monk. Sure enough, he made it through that storm. And he went into the monastery, even though he had been training to be a lawyer, he went into the monastery. And as he began to learn more of the rules of the monastery, even more, he he became mad at himself and sad with himself. And he was like, I just can't do this. It got so bad. His conscience was so tender that he literally would fast until he would pass out on the cell floor and other priests would come in and have to force feed him. He would beat himself. It was a common practice among priests in those days to take a whip and try to get the sin out of himself by, by hitting themselves on the back. Luther did that. He did everything in his human power. In fact, he even says later on, he says, if there were a way to be righteous and restore relationship with God by following the rules and by taking God's punishment on oneself, I'd be there. Because as mad as I was at myself, as sad as I felt over my behavior, I was working hard to work it out with God by my own power. And then I discovered this amazing thing called grace. Reading my Bible one day, I learned that it wasn't about me working, out with, working it out with God, that God had already worked it out for me because he loves me, and that I don't have to do anything to earn that or deserve that. It's purely his free gift to me, this thing called grace. I want you to write some words down. Grace is love and kindness given freely to someone who doesn't earn or deserve it. So it's free to the one given it, but it often does cost the giver to do an act of grace. You know this, right? If you've, if you've ever been in a situation where someone has been mistreating you or, or, or you're mad at someone and then you feel, okay, I've, I've got to do something to love this person, how hard that is, how extremely difficult it, it, it is to love someone, not love someone back, right? Because they've first loved you. But to just love someone, maybe even someone who has stung you and hurt you and burned you, how do you feel when you feel called upon to love that person who has hurt you, who has made you mad or has made you sad? You know how tough that is. And that's what we're talking about. It, it costs the giver to give grace. But to us who receive grace, it's free. What an awesome gift it is. Now, do we ever have people in today's world that feel like Luther? I came across this. Letter written by a young person. This is what they said. Lately, I just feel so down. I really don't know what's wrong with me. Sometimes it seems like nothing, but then everything just overwhelms me. And I'm really sad about it. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I used to love basketball. Now I suck at it. I used to love to sing. I can't sing well anymore. 
I used to love my job. Now I just want to pull the covers over my head and stay, bed, stay in bed. My hair looks terrible lately. I'm breaking out with pimples. I'm not even a teenager. I like that line. I'm unloved and unwanted. I don't fit in anywhere. I'm confused about what to do next, what to try, where to go. I feel unlovable, and I hate myself. I'm never going to have someone in my life who loves me for me. Even my parents annoy me, and I can tell I annoy them too, even though they won't say it. I've ruined my life by making lots of bad mistakes. I hate my mother, and my, my, my father doesn't even seem to know who I am. I don't have a best friend anymore, so I don't even know who to talk to. I'm not popular. I'm not smart. At the moment, I feel as if there's something in my stomach that's churning. I want to cry, but my eyes are dry. I feel as if I'm going to be sick. I just want to go to bed, but can't fall asleep. I don't know what to do. I just want to disappear. Did you ever feel like that? See, that's someone verbalizing in today's world some of the mad feelings and sad feelings that Luther was feeling, and those feelings are still there, locking us, keeping us away from change, and that's why this idea of grace is so critically important, because what it tells you and what it tells me is, despite all the stuff going wrong in our lives, despite all that stuff that says, I need to be mad at myself or sad with myself, I need to be mad with my neighbor or sad with my neighbor, you are not unlovable. In fact, just the opposite. You have an amazing God who loves you, and he loves you consistently. His love is never going to go away. It's going to be there every day. When you wake up, when you go to bed, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. That's what grace is all about. It's a consistent, steady, faithful love that God always has for you that caused him to send his son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross for you, that caused him three days later to lift Jesus out of the grave for you. You know, the whole idea is recorded for us in Romans 5, 17 and 18. Take a look at this. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Circle that word condemnation. See, that's what, that's what that feeling of mad and sad is all about. It's a feeling that, man, I need to condemn myself. And that's what Adam's sin did. It brought condemnation for all of us. But, he goes on to say, Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Jesus paid a price, and it cost him dearly. Jesus took a risk, and that's the other thing we need to know about grace. Grace is risky love. It's when you're willing to step out and take a risk on things. And that's what Jesus is doing here. 
Condemnation was on all of us, and yet in that one act of going to the cross for us, Jesus brought us a right relationship with God and the opportunity to change. Notice what it says, new life for everyone. Now I want you to go back up to Romans 5.20 because Paul is really leading into Romans 5.20 with this passage that we just read. And so he goes on from Romans 5, 17 and 18 to say these words, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. You know what he's saying there? Laws and rules will never get you back with God. In fact, they do the very opposite of what you might think. When we put laws and rules on people, what happens? The trespass actually doesn't decrease, it increases. But where sin increased, he says, grace increased all the more. Paul's saying the real answer to change in our lives, to walking the way God wants us to walk in our lives, is this thing called grace, this undeserved faithful love God has for us. And that love grows so that just as sin reigned in death, see, wherever sin was, it ruled by bringing death. But now look what he says. So also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the thing you need to know. Circle those words, reign. Grace might reign. You see, in our new life now, the rules don't reign. The law doesn't rule. But grace reigns. Grace rules. Grace is a crown that goes on each and every head of the person who believes in Jesus. And we can say, look, sin doesn't rule me anymore. The consequences of sin don't have control over me. I wear a crown of grace. I am a king in God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom. And when sin wants to attack me, yeah, I'm going to feel sad for a while. I'm, I'm going to get mad for a little bit. But ultimately, that sadness and that madness is no longer going to rule. Forgiveness is going to rule. Turn your page over. What all this is telling us is that God took a risk on me, and he took a risk on you. And he said, I'm going to love you despite the fact that you are a sinner. I'm going to come down here and give my son for you. And what that means is you are free to be loved. You're no longer unlovable. You no longer have to have these feelings of despair. And my mom doesn't love me and my dad doesn't love me. Your heavenly father does love you. You are lovable. And here's our first point. Grace is the crown making me the reigning champion over sins past, present, and future. What a beautiful thing God's undeserved love is in our lives. You know how guilt and shame works on us the most? How that feeling of being mad and sad really worms its way into our hearts and minds is through our past. All of us, when we look back into our past, we can find things that make us sad about ourselves, angry with ourselves, or sometimes even harder, mad and sad toward others. Why did that person have to abuse me? 
Why did that person have to steal from me? Why was this person unfaithful to me? Why did he lie? All those thoughts keep on coming into our minds and many others like that. Or, why was I unfaithful? Why did I steal? Why did I lie like that? And we can be so weighed down with our past that it's as if the only direction in our little car of life is reverse. And the way that we're driving through life is like this, always looking back. And you want to talk about gravitational pull? You're going to go where you look. And if the only direction that you're looking is backward all the time into your history, into your past, you're going to keep having your heart and mind drawn back to the past. The past does not define us. And all the things that make us mad and sad about the past, when you plug grace into your heart, God's undeserved love for you, it completely turns you around. Talk about repent. Instead of going everywhere in reverse and and trying to make progress by keeping your head in the past, you turn around. Exactly what the word repent means. You make a U-turn and you begin to see your present with a new meaning and you start to move into a much better future. Take a look at this. Take a look at your crosswalk notes. Look at what Jesus said. I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When the dead will hear my voice. He's talking about the spiritually dead. People, the people who are spiritually dead, it's already here. That when they hear my voice, it's going to transform them. Because it's the voice of the Son of God. And he says, and those who listen will live. They're no longer going to be dead. They're no longer going to be defined by, by things that happened when they were still spiritually dead in their past. Those who listen will live. This was such an important message that it had to get out there. And the apostles, after Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven, they began to, to go out with this message. And it angered some people. To hear the apostles say, look, Jesus is so powerful that your past doesn't matter anymore. And some of these guys actually arrested the apostles and put them in jail in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, an angel came and he released them. And the words that this angel spoke to the apostles is so amazing to me. He said, I want you to go right out from this prison cell and go right back to the temple. And I want you to start teaching people. And look what he says he wants them to teach. This is what it says. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. This message, this message of God's grace, this gospel that you are loved even though you don't deserve God's love, even though I don't deserve God's love, is the message, the full message of a brand new life for you. 
How many of you are maybe struggling right now thinking, man, I can't escape my past. I've done too many horrible things. You know, I was doing some research on this, came across this amazing quote from Bono. You know Bono from U2? Listen to this, great quote. Bono says, grace is a completely foreign concept to us. At the center of all religions, he says, is the idea of karma. We get karma. You know, when you put something out, it comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal and opposite reaction. Bono says, man, that's intuitive. I get that. And yet, along comes this idea called grace that upends all ideas of karma. Love, God's love, interrupts. I like that phrase. It interrupts. And it's not just a little tap on the shoulder. He says it interrupts the consequences of your actions. And then he goes on to say this, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I love that idea that grace is an interruption, right? It's football season right now. And man, sometimes we get to see a lot of interruptions in a football game. A guy is booking it down the field and bam, out of the side comes a guy and interrupts that run big time, right? That's what grace does. We're headed down a path. It's a path defined by rules and laws Guilt and shame, and all of a sudden, God's undeserved love in Christ comes along and says, Bam! I'm interrupting that kind of thought. And I want you to know that your life is now defined by love, that you're forgiven, and you can walk around as a person who is loved. And because you are loved, you have my power and strength. The things you want to change, you can change. Sin no longer rules over you. Take a look at what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. Pull your crosswalk notes back out. Flip it back over to the front side. Romans 5.20 to 6.10. I'm going to pick up at verse 1 of chapter 6 where it says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We're changed, he says. We died to sin. That old past way of life is gone. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Meaning that when we were baptized, we died with Christ. We literally died with him. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, underline this phrase, we too may live a new life. You see, grace is a crown that allows us to rule over our sin and all the condemnation that comes with it and the death that follows it. But grace is also a ticket, a ticket into a brand new life, as Paul says. You died with Christ, but you were also raised with him, and now you're living a brand new life. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. This is is how Paul says a mature believer thinks. 
Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, underline this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The past no longer defines you. The past no longer tells you who you are. It's all about the future in Christ. And Paul says in verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If you find yourself drawn back to the past constantly, what's Paul telling you? It's a sign of immaturity. But if you see Christ's undeserved love for us and it makes you say, you know what? I'm going to forget what's behind and move toward what's ahead. That means that you're growing and you're learning and you're living in the grace of God. So here's our second point. Grace is the ticket, my passport to a brand new life. Now, grace is one other thing. Grace is possibility. So often in our life, one of the reasons we don't change is we don't see the possibility. We're so down on ourselves, so negative about our life and the, the people and the circumstances around us, it's as if we don't have a, a pair of glasses. There's no lens powerful enough to help us see anything hopeful in the future. But not for the person who knows God's grace. Because if you don't have to do anything to earn or deserve a better future, if you trust that you have a God that loves you all the time, consistently, faithfully, undeservedly, without reservation, think about what that does to help you see a brighter future for your life. It's, it's like this most amazing lens. In just a moment, we're going to play a song for you, and I, I want to tell you a little bit about the words of that song. But first, let me just quote a couple of, uh, of verses from this song for you. The song's called How He Loves. Listen to this. He is jealous for me, meaning God is jealous for me. He loves me jealously. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden... I'm unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are, he's talking to God, and how great your affections are for me, God. We are his portion. He is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. Grace is an ocean, the songwriter writes. We're all sinking in it. So heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss, and my heart turns violently, my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us, how he loves us all. That's beautiful poetry, but you know there's a story behind that poetry? And how this man... John Mark McMillan could still look into the future because he trusted God's love. I don't know if you know this story, 
But John Mark Millen was a member of a church and he had a, a youth leader in his congregation. He was, he was part of that youth group. And one day his youth leader said, if it would shake the youth of a nation, I would gladly give my life today. That night, that youth leader who said, I would gladly give my life today was in a horrible car wreck and he lost his life. And John Mark McMillan was thinking, oh, holy cow. And he, he missed this guy who was such an important influence in, in his life and he wrote this, this song, How He Loves to remind himself that, man, life here is so short, but we have a beautiful vision of our future as long as God is with us because we have heaven in view through the forgiveness that, that Christ has won. Momentarily, he had lost his friend, but not forever. And, and he still had a future. John Mark McMillan did, just like all of us do as we move forward. And grace is that lens that helps us be hopeful for our future and gives us true significance. We can do something with our life. Take a look at these quick examples I give. David knew God's grace, and he was able to live a life of purpose. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. Esther was a woman in the Old Testament whose people were captured and imprisoned. One day she was called upon to go in and, and speak with the king, even to misspeak, even to present yourself to the king, often met with an execution, but she was the one who had to go. And her close relative says to her, and I, I wrote this here, if you remain silent at this time, Esther... Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Who knows, Esther, if God didn't put you here for just this thing? And what about you and me? Doesn't the same question apply? Who knows but that God put you right here at Crosswalk Church? right here in Levine and South Phoenix, right here in this metropolitan area for just a time as this so that you could serve God in your generation and serve his purpose. And now that you know God's grace, you have a clear lens to see that in. Last example. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. This is Paul talking to Timothy. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Did I mention earlier that Crosswalk Church is a church of servants? A church filled with gifted people? that know because they've been graced by God that they have the power to lead significant lives and make a difference in the people around them. You can make a difference in your family. 
you can make a difference at your place of work. By God's grace, you can make a difference for your neighbors in this community because you know the undeserved love of God in Christ for you, you can make a difference here in this church and through this church by teaming up with others who want to do the same if, as Paul says to Timothy, you will fan into flame the gift of God that he has given to you. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. If you're thinking about change, I want you to think about this guy, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, discovering, hey, I am a sinner. I can stop beating up on myself literally. I can stop starving myself and punishing myself. I can stop being mad. And I can stop being sad. Because I am loved by an amazing, faithful God who loved me so much that he was willing to give me his son. And from there... On this very day, October 31st, Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the door of a church and a revolution exploded, a revolution of change brought about by people knowing that there is this thing called grace. What revolution might you start? What are your personal 95 theses as you come to better know the grace of God. Let me encourage each one of you to fan into flame the gift of God. Grace is the lens opening up our eyes to a whole new vision of significance. Verse 8 is what it all boils down to. Right in the heart of this set of verses Now, if we died with Christ by simply believing in him as our Lord and Savior, if we died with him, things are going to change. We believe that we will also live with him. Will you take a look at your next steps living the adventure this week? Here's one very practical way to instigate change in your life. Recite the ABCs of faith daily. Admit your sin. Believe in Jesus' grace and forgiveness for you and change and conform to Christ. Practice and recite those ABCs every day and you'll find that the Holy Spirit is going to draw you into change. And you know what? We all need to get fueled up. Growth groups are the gas station of grace. Stop in and fill her up regularly. And finally, meditate on and memorize Romans 6, 8. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we'll also live with him. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you call us to change, to make a U-turn in our lives, to change our minds and our hearts and our actions. And Lord, there are so many things that hold us back, our own sin, making us feel guilty and ashamed of ourselves, mad and sad about how we treat others and how we don't put you first in our lives. And Lord, we're we're filled with hurt, too, and pain. Mad and sad about the things that others have done to us. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room that you will help them wear the crown of grace that helps them see that they rule over sin and all its consequences and that forgiveness is theirs fully. 
Lord, I ask you to help us stop looking in the rearview mirror, turning around and living our lives defined by the past. Help us to move by your grace into the future. And then finally, Lord, help every person in this room to know in your grace, they have a significant future ahead of them, a life of serving you and bringing glory to you. Help each of us to fan into flame the gift of God that you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.